You're tuning in to the Black Hollywood Live Network, featuring news, interviews, and commentary on all things Black Hollywood. Hollywood redefined. From Los Angeles, California, streaming live thanks to Akamai Technologies, this is Black Hollywood Live. Justice is served. Featuring the week's roundup and commentary on legal news. Black Hollywood Live. Hollywood redefined. You're listening to Black Hollywood Live. And now, the host for Black Hollywood Live, Justice is served. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Justice is Served. This is the show where we give you all of the latest legal news. I'm so happy to be back. I am your host, Mari Fagel, joined by my lovely co-hosts, Sarah Azari and Chelsea Galicia. Hi, Mari. It is so nice to have all three of us back together, and we have a lot to talk about. But I guess no surprise in the first story that we will be talking about, because it's something you guys have been talking about all summer. It's something we were talking about all spring. It seems to be a story pretty much every week on Justice is Served, the shooting of an unarmed teenager by a cop. The difference in this story, and that's why I want to get your opinion on this, is this was a white teenager. His name was Zachary Hammond, 19 years old. Uh, He was shot while in his car. He had a female passenger in his car who was doing a drug buy with an undercover officer. And the story that's come out is that from the police officer's perspective, Lieutenant Tiller, was that Zachary Hammond refused to put his hands up and instead drove forward. And so Lieutenant Tiller at that point shot Zachary Hammond twice, killing him. He shot him in the back and in the head. And Zachary's parents say, well, how does that make sense Mm -hmm. if he put his foot on this gas and was driving forward, yet the shots were from behind. And there is dash cam footage that the family is urging to be released. The reason this is our top story this week, as it has been pretty much every week for the last several months, is, is Zachary Hammond's story being treated differently from all the other stories we have done in the past? From Michael Brown, from Eric Garner, from Tamir Rice, from Christian Taylor, who just happened days apart from Zachary Hammond. And Sarah, you and I were talking about this before the show. Is there a difference between Zachary Hammond's story and all the others? There is a difference. I mean, I think his parents are calling this hypocrisy on the part of the media and, you know, the government's involvement. The government has already stepped in. The FBI has stepped in. There's a DOJ investigation under civil rights violation statutes and uh, color of law statutes. And the difference is that this didn't occur in a municipality with um, a history of racial tension. This is not Ferguson, Missouri. Um, it's not really because, to me, this is not because the uh, the um, the victim is white and the officer uh, is is black, or you know, vice versa, or the victim's white and the officer is not black. Whatever it is, um, to me, this is you know, police brutality cases go on every hour of every day across the nation, and not every case is going to draw the same type of attention as those in areas like Baltimore, like Ferguson, um, where there's been a history of of um, distrust between the community and and law enforcement and and this bias and racism um, and I think the parents are disappointed and his lawyers disappointed that somehow this case is not being treated as seriously as some other ones I think it's being treated with as much importance as any other case because the government is doing an investigation to hopefully prosecute this officer. Chelsea, I want to read for you um, Zachary Hammond's family's attorney's quote on this situation. I just want to get your reaction to this. He said, it's sad, but I think the reason is, unfortunately, the media and our government officials have treated the death of an unarmed white teenager differently than they would have if this was the death of an unarmed black teen. The hypocrisy that has been shown towards this is really disconcerting. I think it's a little bit less about race and more about the video. In the other stories that we've covered, that have garnered so much media attention. This the story leaked from a passerby's cell phone video. And from there, 
attention grew, and then sometimes dash cam videos have been released. But it started because uh, a, a somebody, a third party, was there to witness it and capture it on video. Once things are on video, the media is able to do a lot more with it. Where we, you, your, your emotions as a viewer are much more involved when there's some visual mm-hmm. accompaniment to a narrative that's been being told. In this story, even though there is a video that exists, the police have refused to release it, saying it's sensitive police investigation material. Uh, and in the past, in these kinds of cases, the uh, dash cam videos have only come out after passerbys have released their videos. And so there was so much pressure um, on the police departments to release it. But they don't have to. You know, it was requested by the family and uh, media through the Freedom of Information Act, and the police just declined. And so when there's no video, people sometimes tend to believe the officer until a video stares them in the face and shows, yeah, this officer can't be really telling the truth. And so I, I, I think it's less about race. And it's also really interesting that the total numbers of white people killed by police is more than African Americans. But proportionately, African Americans are killed at a higher rate by, by law enforcement. And so it, the media isn't going to cover all of them. That might be the only thing that ever gets covered if if the media had to cover every shooting. I think they've covered the ones that have gotten the most attention because the videos sensationalized the story. I mean, you're not gonna you're not gonna make a case of racism when a cop. I mean, I, I hate to say this, but when a cop kills a, a white person. It, you can't. The media can't come out and say, "Look at this racism. Look at this but bias it's, by law enforcement." It's the look at this police brutality. Look at the fact that these police are too quick to pull out their gun and, as opposed to their taser gun. That should be the narrative in my mind. And exactly, and that goes back to what I said earlier, which is it's so prevalent that I, I don't think that every case is going to get the same amount of attention. I think, like Chelsea said, you know, what's special about that case? We know it's police brutality. I mean, these cops really need to get retrained and, and before yeah. they're put out there. But um, is it is it a, 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 a black man on the sidewalk choke, being choked to death, screaming, I can't breathe? I mean, that's... You know, that really draws a lot of attention, and that's why the media is focused on that. Um, you know, the, the video in um, the Tamir Rice case, and you know, the, these are these are sort of the sensational stories that I think the media will cover versus yet another police brutality case, unfortunately. I do have a question, though, about when the media ju- does choose to cover these cases, how they choose to cover it and how it differs. Because if you take a look at, um, I don't know, do you mind putting up the photo of Zachary Hammond that we have here. When you Google Zachary Hammond and you look at the photos that are on Google, he's 19 years old in this photo. He has braces. He was probably a preteen. And these are the photos that come up on Google. And that's different from Michael Brown, who was the same age. He was 18 years old. Uh, you know, a lot. I don't know if you guys remember with Trayvon Martin, when the story, it depended on who the media outlet was, what the photo of Trayvon Martin was. It was either mm-hmm. a photo of him where he was young and innocent looking yeah. and graduating or uh, with a diploma, you know, or it was the one with the grill in his mouth. And so I just thought it was interesting. That's why, you know, Sarah, you, you were looking through the photos. We were picking photos for this show, and you showed me this photo, and I thought, you know, those are the photos that show up when you type in Zachary Hammond's name. I highly doubt that he looks like that right now, right. but is it because he's a white teenager that was gunned down that these are the types of photos that the media decides to release this is the type of narrative they they decide to tell because he was in the car with someone who was charged with possession of um, marijuana and there was cocaine on him i'm not saying he should have been shot for that reason but the narrative is different i think think the narrative of this story isn't like oh look at this story he's a white kid so it didn't get covered their narrative is look what the war on drugs is doing. I mean, the, this little girl, I, I would say little girl, but she was like in her early 20s, had 10 grams of marijuana. I mean, it, it's Not like legal crime. in yeah. some of the states in our country now. And a, a police officer killed somebody over that. And, you know, an officer has to be in fear for his life. And he said he was fearing for his life and the life of the people in the general public. 
because of 10 grams of marijuana? I, I, it just does not make any sense at all. And I think that's what the outrage should actually be about. We don't have to pit this story against other stories of police brutality and, and, and separate it based on race. I think this narrative is America is killing our own citizens over a failed war on drugs and we keep doing it and it affects blacks and uh, whites. And I think it's worth noting that it was the Black Lives Matter movement that was the ones who brought attention to this case. And that's when CNN and Washington Post and national outlets started covering it. So I don't think that the Black Lives Matter movement is trying to hog all the screen time on police brutality. They're trying to bring attention to it wherever it exists and to whoever the victim is. So I hope that this doesn't become a, you know, black lives versus white lives. This I don't is- see it that way either. I, I think it's apples and oranges in terms of that. But um, Zachary Hammond was killed just days apart from Christian Taylor. And when you watch the news, Christian Taylor was the college football player who, again, was gunned down by a cop. This was a rookie cop. Uh, he just completed his training in the fall. He was out with um, a more veteran senior cop, and he decided to go in first. Uh, there was a call of a suspected burglary in a car dealership, and the rookie cop found Christian Taylor. And instead of using a taser like the older cop had recommended, he, he went and shot him. But I also think... I think the Christian Taylor case didn't get as much, even though it's a black so suspect, it, even even though it's a black suspect and it fits in that category of white cop, black citizen, that still, the, the media attention that Taylor got pales in comparison to the media attention that some of the cases we've covered over the past year. Well, is it that, you know, the media is getting you know, bored with this story? Is it that this will never change? Well, because this is guy it that was it innocent. Start- this guy didn't deserve to die, but he wasn't entirely innocent. It was and, a burglary. And, and, and he was seen yeah. acting erratic. And there is video in this case, uh, but it doesn't actually show the shooting. It just shows him acting in inappropriately, vandalizing cars and running mm-hmm. off a burglary scene. Basically. So it's, it's newsworthy. But it's not the same as when, you know, you see a guy being like, hey, I'm not, you know, just please leave me alone. And then he gets attacked, you know, brought down. Uh, This guy did not deserve to die for vandalizing cars. But I think we're so used to seeing now people who are much more innocent, like... Uh, was it Walter Scott who was literally running away because he probably thought he was going to be arrested for not paying child support? Mm-hmm. You know, that guy was or not Eric Garner doing for anything. selling loose cigarettes. But I just wonder if, you know, the media is reacting. Are people getting sick of hearing these stories over and over and then nothing's going to change because then the media stops? Oh, that was, you know, the story du jour for this year or for the end of last year was Eric Garner, Michael Brown. Now people are getting sick of it. And now, you know, police are going to continue to do what they were doing. And like it was, you're, you know, turn everyone turns a blind die to it? I hope not. I, I, I think that people are, are trying to regain trust, especially in those communities that are most affected. They're gaining more trust in their law enforcement as we see more involvement by, you know, um, the municipalities, the cities, the federal government. Um, I think it's, it's a slow change. We've talked about this too before. I think we had a guest from, um, uh, Mr. Carver, um, civil rights attorney. You know, the change is very slow, but I think it's going to take some time for people to gain back this trust. It didn't happen overnight. It's been going on for years and years and years. But things and- are happening. Officers got fired. Officers resigned. Yeah, in DOJ. the Christian Taylor case, the officer was immediately fired. Right. Rightfully so. so. Because he pulled out his gun instead of a taser. Right. So things are happening, and I, I, I think it's going in a better direction to have this attention. I don't think the media is tiring of it. I think, uh, I mean, it's now a huge political issue that's showing up in the presidential uh, That's a good campaign, point that so. it, it'll have a a renewed spotlight as we go into an election year. Mm-hmm. Um, it will always have a spotlight on our show. This is Justice is Served, and um, I think this is a topic we're going to continue to talk about. Absolutely. So there's, there, there's no shying away from it. And, and we want to hear from our viewers, so please tweet us. I can be tweeted at Azari Law. At Mari Fagel. At Chelsea Galicia. And what yeah. I really want to know, I mean, there's something to talk about every week right. regarding police brutality, but what I do want to know this week is, is Zachary Hammond's story being treated differently for the better or for the worse because of his skin color? So please do tweet us.
Let us know. Love to hear from you. All right. Um, I'd like to cover uh, and introduce a story that, that is um, very interesting to me as a criminal defense attorney because I do um, a lot of my state caseload is the defense of sex crimes. Um, this happens to appear to be um, just your regular uh, sexual assault case on the East Coast in Concord, New Hampshire, involving an assault that allegedly occurred on the campus of a very preppy, Ivy League, prestigious um, uh, prep school called St. Ball St. Paul's Prep School. Um, however, the, the focus is now turned on to um, whether, you know, that uncomfortable discussion about the connection between the privileged and sexual assault, and also what somehow once upon a time began as a school ritual, is it now being used as an excuse for sexual assault? Um, so it's a little bit about the facts of this case. You know, St. Paul's is where um, the the schooling of a lot of notorious people begins. Senator, um, I'm sorry, not Senator, um, Secretary John, John Kerry, um, a lot of politicians, um, hedge fund executives, really big names started their schooling in this school. And um, tuition's about $54,000 a year. And uh, and it's, you know, it's a co-ed school. I think they began to let um, uh, females in in 1971 or somewhere around there. Um, and so the trial, the person on trial is a young man, 19-year-old named Owen Labrie. And um, in terms of jury appeal, he's got it all. He's just got these little glasses. He's this clean-cut, <laughs> preppy, good little boy. So are um, you saying out of the defense attorney's playbook, this was an ace for for the defense attorney to dress him like this in court and make him look like a I mean, he probably is wearing some with acne? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't use Clearasil for a week before the trial <laughs> All right. So, um, you know, I, I mean, the, the kid looks like a really clean-cut kid. He is, um, he, he received an award for, for being a stellar student, a model student, a leader at his school. A couple days before he graduated, he was a very popular kid, apparently, in that school. And the context in which the prosecution is introducing this case is there is a ritual at the school called um, the Senior Salute. And this is where graduating males um, take the virginity of uh, freshmen or younger females at the school. And, um, and that this is the thing to do. This has been a long-standing tradition. And the other piece to this context that the prosecution is painting is a key that the class passes, one class passes to the next class. And this key gives you access to certain areas in the on the campus where you can take care of this uh, senior salute. And so, um, you know, there there has been, uh, the evidence is really interesting. There's been some DNA evidence, but of course, you know, I'm not going to get into a whole discussion of DNA evidence, but DNA, there's many ways it can be uh, passed along. It's everywhere. It's all over us, all over our studio. And so um, there's, there is some evidence of that. There is some late reporting by the girl. Apparently she didn't report it right away. Several is days Is that passed. surprising? Um, you know, uh, no, but it's something that, uh, you know, it's common in certain cases, but it's Especially. definitely used by, by the defense, um, you know, to, to attack her credibility. And it even, you know, the prosecution has admitted that this is a, a case of Credibility. Are you going to believe this girl or not? Um, apparently, this morning in her testimony, uh, she's been very emotional. She took the stand first on Monday, um, and this morning in her testimony, she began to describe the, the the her demonstration of not wanting to have intercourse with uh, Owen Labrie in the best way that she could. Um, she talked about how popular he, uh, he was, the pressure that she was under to perform, and that she did the best to let him know that it was not okay to have sex. Now, I have to say, I mean, I, I'm, I'm dying to hear from you guys because I know you're going <laughs> to disagree with me, but I have to say that, I mean, she, her definition of a hookup is kissing, okay? Um, I don't know many young people that you're going to say the word hookup to, and they're going to think that that's limited to kissing. And that, that that's a jury question. Is the jury going to believe that she went in? She definitely knew she's going in on a senior salute date. She definitely knew that. So the question is, what is her definition? Is, is what she thought she's going in for really credible? Or did, should she have well, known more? Even if you know you're going in on a senior salute date, though, like, does that 
prove she consented to what happened. But that's but, the I mean, the whole idea that- behind a senior salute is a lack of consent. In my mind, it's like, you know, these guys are like, okay, we're going to take these women's virginity regardless of what they say but or do. she got a message, she initially declined, as I understand right. it, and then clarified it to mean there will be no sex. But that's why you wonder why this girl waited a couple days or however long it was to report or say anything because then it's just victim shaming. You know, she gets up on the stand and we're all sitting here questioning what she should have done or said in the moment. This is a high school girl, you know? Right. But you know what? Um, This is the other issue. This senior salute, uh, we were talking about this briefly too before the show. To me, okay, at St. Paul's, you know, they have this formal fancy name for it called senior salute. Um, And they have their definition of what happens on a senior salute. But you know, when I was in high school, um, this pressure, this peer pressure is, is inherent in, in every high school. I but think. a virginity Public- competition, like a virginity taking competition. But, but it's, but, but that's, uh, I mean, it, it is, it is about, okay, the guys all want to graduate Wait, with who scored the most. But hold women, on, this girls. guy said, this guy was studying theology and, he says that they didn't even have sex. He says that he put on a condom and then experienced a divine moment of inspiration or intervention. And, and that, that, and that is a and jury a lot question. Of this does is, not make sense. It, that absolutely raises an eyebrow. A jury's going to have to say, "Wait a minute, an eighteen? What eighteen-year-old boy is going to have a divine inspiration with an erect penis and a condom on? Not, not that many, you know. So it's, it's a, it's a question for the jury. Are they going to believe that he really did not have intercourse with it, and why that matters, and why he's denied? that is because the age of consent in New Hampshire is 16. She was 15 at the time. And so by denying that the the intercourse occurred between them, he's absolving himself of that liability. He's going to take the stand. People are expected, the jury's expected to hear from him in detail about a lot of communications as well between the two of them on Facebook, through emails, through text messages, where even after the the alleged incident, um, she was very complimentary of him. You know, he called her an angel and she called him, well, you know, I feel the same about you. I'm, I'm you know, um, there's good things about you. So she today, is my understanding uh, from her testimony, tried to explain why she would go to such lengths in these communications uh, with somebody that supposedly, you know, raped her and, and had sex with her against her will. She's trying to explain the general culture of pressure at that school and the shaming, etc., and trying to play along. At the end of the day, though, it's a credibility call, right? The, the, the jury has to determine whether how she reacted, what she did or didn't do or say, is is what someone of her age, what would be reasonable from someone of her age versus, you know, the whole condom thing and what he's got to say. I mean, I think it's a credibility call. But what worries me about a case like this is this did get to the point of going to trial and look what's happening. We're all sitting here picking apart what this girl said and what this girl did, which would only continue the culture of girls not standing up for themselves and not talking and not saying anything. And virginity competitions, whether they be at elite prep schools or wherever they are, whatever they're called, whatever kind of pressure is going on, it's just going to continue because the problem with a rape trial, unlike any other criminal trial in my mind, is the spotlight is on the victim in a very different kind of way. I sat through a trial of um, a cab driver who was alleged to have raped several of his female passengers in Los Angeles, and I sat through that trial. I watched the girls. I watched the... um, the nurses who took care of them afterwards on take the stand and he was acquitted and you know the guy was a great defense attorney but these women their lives and their choices were picked apart in a very different way than you would have ever seen in let's say a battery a battery case, any other type of case and, and i understand that but they have to be picked apart they have to be picked apart because these are serious crimes for which people would do a lot of time and wear the scarlet letter on their chest for the rest of their life as sex offenders that have to register. But then they're wearing the scarlet letter of their chest of being, you know, an easy girl or an open girl. And what's going to happen is these traditions, these senior salutes are just going to keep happening. Which is why the focus should be almost more on the school and their whether they have any responsibility in this. How is it that in our, we can't walk down the street without some camera being on us. How is it that at this school on a rooftop, something like this would go down. Because the school knew about it and turned a blind eye. So I think that that is where most of the focus should be. I I mean... 
the, because well, they the, had wealthy the, students with wealthy parents the and they didn't want it to ever get to this point. And now that right. it's getting to this point, everyone is turning their attention on the girl because they don't want this to happen again. It's, it's, been a, it's a true embarrassment for the alumni, for the school. For and It's a very prestigious school. But I think you have to keep in mind the person on trial is 19-year-old Owen Labrie. It's not St. Paul's. I mean, yes, the focus is on St. Paul's and their liability and all of this. And I think if he's found guilty, it's even going to be worse for St. Paul. But um, but but he is the he is the person on trial, and so uh, it, you've got this accuser saying all these things happen. I'm sorry, but from a defense perspective, you know you can't just say. I, I understand from a, from a woman's perspective what um, Mari is saying, but from a defense perspective, you you've got to shred that that testimony apart because you know what if just playing devil's advocate, she's a young girl, she's got the hots for the sky, he's graduating, he's leaving, he's going to go to Harvard, and she's regretting that she showed up to this senior salute date, did what she did, and and, and feels dirty. And this guy's gone. And he's not going to be my boyfriend. He's not going to be my prom date. And what the hell did I do? And why did I listen to that mutual friend who talked me into doing this? Buyer's remorse, okay? What if it's that? And then your client is going to be going to jail at the age of 19. His future is gone. Well, um, I, I don't... But we there is physical evidence. There looks like there's some sort of abrasion that looks consistent. I, yeah, but I the read, issue is whether... Yeah, you I You can spin that. that any way you want. And the way that defense attorneys spin it is, you you know, you, you keep saying he's on trial. It sounds like she's on trial from the conversation we've had and from the way it's played out in court. It sounds like she's on trial. And that's my problem with, I mean, I understand defense attorneys have a job to do, and I come from more of a prosecutorial background, having intern- worked at the DA's office, and I just think that the problem with rape cases is you put the girl on trial, and the consequence of that is that girls are just going to be scared to report yeah. in you, the you future. Here's, here's something that would help. on trial. You here's put some, her allegations on trial. What, what was he doing with a 15-year-old girl on the rooftop in the first place? That doesn't make him guilty school, of rape. But, but it's this high is, school, and it's, and it's what was done at that school, at most schools, maybe not he, on campus. And, and actually... He he probably of all people knew better. He was a prefect. He he was one given authority and over other students, and so he had, if anyone, more. I would imagine training, and, knowledge, and that's understanding, true. and that's why he, in his own statement to the police officers, said that you know this culture needs to change. It's it's not good. It's not healthy. He admits that. Okay, so I think you also have to look at maybe he was also under pressure, you know, under peer pressure to score however many girls before graduating. To you know, they call it. Um, they had a, a dance called the I don't know the uh, um, the. It was basically where they pick their girls, you know, and and who they're going to slay, quote unquote. Um, and and you know they had a newbie uh, night where the girls talk about their previous sexual experiences. This is all written by somebody in a 2011 book who's an alumni uh, alumnus of of um, St. Paul's Prep School. And so this has been going on for years and years. And, and I again, I think it goes on in a lot of high schools. It's just maybe not as not as formal and, and, you know, there's not these dances and nights and stuff like that. But, you know, uh, he was probably also under a tremendous amount of pressure. Or that's the way it's going to be spun in closing uh, argument. He acknowledged (laughs) to the police that he was trying to be number one. So it doesn't sound to me... How do you spin that? You spin it by saying, oh, he was the prefect and he was trying to change this culture. And that's my problem is we're so focused on... he was trying to be number one in (laughs) conquests. And the prosecution prosecution is we're going to run with that, that he was, that he put the condom on. I mean, look at the prosecution's evidence. He, he admits, you know, there's communications where he had the condom on. Um, there's, there's laceration in her, uh, vagina. There is, um, some DNA, um, his on her. Uh, but the problem is in a rape case that can be spun two different so ways. So many different ways. Yeah. But I mean, that is the prosecution's case and that the communications that the defense says, basically uh, are, are evidence that everything was, she knew exactly what she's doing. It was consensual. They showed up, they did this and it was part of the culture as she wanted this. Uh, the, the prosecutor's saying, no, it, the same communications actually corroborate the prosecution's case, yeah. which is that there was, even, se- there was a uh, sexual intercourse. Because on one level and for some of the charges, it doesn't matter whether she consented or not. Right. Because she's, because she was 15. Yeah. 
So and that's why he's saying there, there's no, there's no. But there are separate sex. charges for that, right? He has to. He right. has no, no choice. Well, but let me tell you. I mean, he's on the hook for sexual assault, but he's also on the hook for child endangerment and luring somebody using the computer to meet him at a specific place. Those two of the, the latter are far less serious than if he was to be convicted of the the sex offense. Um, you know, those are not going to require him to register for the be, rest of his life. I, I think well. he will be convicted. <laughs> yeah. And um, and speaking of registration on this topic, I mean, to me, that's the worst consequence of um, a, a being convicted of a sex offense because you'll do the time like a, a young man named Zach Anderson did in Michigan. Um, he was a young man from Indiana who met a, uh, a, a girl that was, I believe, 15, um, so under the age of consent. Um, I think the age of consent in that state was also around 16. Uh, or 17, was it? I, I, don't, I don't remember. She said she, she was 17. Right. So she said she was 17. So the age of consent was 17 in Michigan. And she said she was 17, but she really was 15 or something at the time. And they met on a on an app called um, Hot or Not. And uh, he drives from Indiana over to Michigan, meets her. They go to a playground and they have sex. And when she doesn't make it home in time, the mother calls the police you know, basically saying she's AWOL. And that's how they then come to him a couple months later and arrest him. Well, he serves, he's convicted of um, uh, fourth degree um, sexual assault or something of that sort. And then he does his 90 days. He's going to be on probation for five years. The worst of all, and this is why his parents are appealing this conviction, is the registration requirement, which, um, you know, for 25 years, that means until he's 44, he has to register as a sex offender. This is, by the way, on the same roster as pedophiles, rapists. Um, these are two teenagers who are having teenage sex, okay? One is over the age of consent. One is under the age of consent. So technically, yes, they're breaking the law. But that if you look at it that way, so many people are breaking the law across the nation every hour Tyga every and Kylie Jenner are breaking the law <laughs> right you know so, we so recently yeah, turned 18 you know and, 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 and registration <laughs> <Okay>. laws <laughs> you're right <laughs> registration laws were not promulgated in the 90s to you know to punish teenage sex they were promulgated so that the public is protected against pedophiles child molesters and rapists and so and, they know where that they live so that oh, they can be on right. guard and, and, the, and so this guy he's not going to be able to get a job he can't use a computer we wanted to be a computer major um his life is ruined because of this and this is not even where he's going to live is going to be restricted his parents had to get him another place because uh because they live near a boating dock or something that's considered a place where uh, children frequent there's this thousand feet rule where you can't live anywhere uh within a thousand feet of a place that children frequent so it's it's um it's so upsetting to me and and the judge's response this is what i want to hear from you guys on is oh, the gosh, judge's that was response not cool he made a a moral ruling he did not make a legal ruling he said you know um i, I thought it was really interesting except he said um there's no excuse for this kind of behavior meet Hook up, have sex, sayonara. We're not going to tolerate this. And I feel like saying it's none of your effing business. You know yeah. what? What these kids decide to do. You're a judge. You're supposed to make a legal ruling. You're supposed to do the right thing. Okay. It's not about your feelings around online dating apps. And by the way, I know judges that are on those apps. I'm not going to name them. Okay. Um, I know lawyers that are on those apps. I've been on that app. What one of those apps? I mean, it's not a big deal these days. You know. Yeah. And so this judge. I don't. I don't even want to know how old he is, but um, he's passing judgment and ruining this kid's life yeah. because of his own feelings around the morality. Well, <laughs> but I, that was something that was unclear to me. Did he have a choice about whether to put uh, him or to force him to to register as a sex offender? Because the girl and her own mother said. She lied. We acknowledge she lied. He doesn't deserve this. Please go easy on him. And the judge wouldn't because of this moral reason, it seems. And you know what? And that's that's the thing that kills me is that the the, the admission that I lied, the evidence that the person lied, the accuser lied, uh, is is irrelevant. The consent's certainly irrelevant because she's underage. So it, it's ultimately you're at the mercy of the prosecutor. You hope that the prosecutor is that ethical and that, you know, um, fair that they're just going to do the right thing for your client just to do the right thing not because they have to legally because they really don't you know the laws in the in in the favor of uh of 
punishing and, and having them register even though it was not intended for that. Except yeah. this happens all the time with a freshman and a senior who are dating in high school right. all the time and so that doesn't get prosecuted. Yeah, so felonies, it's like, why is it that, you know, one case ends up like this and all the others even one that that's why I said Kylie Jenner and Tyga because that's so publicly flaunted and no one cares it's like you know but I think and I think they quoted another judge in this case where they said you know if if we're gonna you know catch every teenager who violates um our current you know law basically we'd lock up 30 to 40 percent of or our school nearly students. a million people would be on the right. sex offender we already registry have eight hundred fifty thousand nationally on the sex registry and about i think um uh six percent of them are are people like exactly in 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 this guy's so maybe position. we need to have a separate list for not so violent sex no offenders list. We don't no. need a list for a high school student who has sex with a younger. Okay, high so student. maybe some some of the sex crimes are not on there. I, I definitely think that this law needs tweaking. I know that the authors of the law are resistant to it, but more and more when stories come out like this, we're we're going to get so pissed off that we're going to want to do away with it when I think it should just be tweaked and they better do it soon before we get so sick well, of I'm it. I'm pissed off every day because this law should not apply to a lot of people that it's that it's affecting. Um, it's overreaching, it's overbroad and that's not what it was meant to do and there's a lot of groups that lobby change for this particular law, including the National Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers including, there, there was a couple others that specific to um, you know sex crimes and their consequences or collateral consequences. It has has to change because it's not it was not meant to um, punish and have somebody register when they're peeing on the sidewalk and their weenies right. out. That's not what this law is supposed to do. Right, but it covers you know? them too in most states. And so the problem fortunate. is when any of these stories get any sort of media attention, it's irrelevant the fact that their name's on the list. Their name's on Google for that reason. <laughs> you know, like this kid you know, for the rest of his life, even after he's 44, even after he's been taken good off the list. Good luck taking it off. Yeah, good luck taking it off Google, you know. Right. So while I'm concerned about the punishment that this kid from St. Paul's is going to get, his name will be on Google for that reason, for being the competitor in a virginity-taking contest forever. So maybe that's the punishment, the worst punishment of all. Right. Probably. Yeah. All right. And so uh, moving on to our, our last set of stories, you know, we talk a lot about trials and at the center of every trial is a jury. That is one of the backbones of our justice system here in the United States. And uh, there was a study that just came out that showed that uh, attorneys are striking uh, black potential jurors uh, off the panel quicker than people from other ethnicities. So this study came from uh, the South in Louisiana. And the statistics are, are pretty disturbing. And I thought... are they prosecutors, these attorneys? Yes. They, okay. Yes, I believe... Sorry, but they I, say I, that... I <laughs> because you have a lot to say from the defense perspective, but I have a lot to say about this. I don't want to be part of that the, group. Ah. I'm not part of that group. <laughs> so already, as it is, African Americans compose a smaller group of the, the pool just to start with, um, because they're not um, on a lot of the lists, uh, voting, uh, and they, they also are sort of disqualified themselves, they're more likely to to uh, qualify for hardship, uh, excusing you know service and things like that. So, so it's it's pretty like thirty five percent only of the population is even eligible, right, right, for the pool. Mm-hmm. And then once they are, they are being stricken at two or three times the rate of uh, of white people. And there's a question now: is should this preemptory you know striking? Be allowed? Or, or is this used, being used to create racism and discrimination in our juries? And now we have a whole bunch of cases where we have all white juries convicting, you know, black men of, in a lot of these cases, capital crimes, and and that it creates a massive distrust in for everybody in our our, our justice system. Do, do, do you think that this actually exists? Number one, this discrimination, racial sort of kicking people off juries and if it does is getting rid of their preemptory strikes a good solution to it i think it's existed for decades but that's why there's supreme court case law and state case law for this very issue and the reason why i know you're going to differ from me on this but you know it's called a wheeler motion in california at least is you know when a prosecutor strikes you know 
two two black jurors in a row mm-hmm. or three black jurors in a row, then the defense attorney will get up and you know s- claim that the prosecutor is doing it for race solely, but and then, then the prosecutor has to get they, up yeah. and give a reason. But they can say any reason. They were crossing their arms. They had an air of arrogance. Too young, too old. They can pick out anything. I mean, there's so many things that can just be made up, and that's what it's been but looking a like. A lot of times, it's happened. not even just made up. You just get a bad vibe about someone. I Absolutely. Was, I was working on a case with a DA, uh, and yeah, you get a bad vibe. And but they're relate the, to the defendant was black. And, you know, the DA kicked off two black jurors in a row. So, of course, there was a Wheeler motion. And it was, it, it had nothing, it just happened to be that they were two in a row. It had nothing to do with race. And I sat there, and to be honest, it really had nothing to do with race. It was the, like, you, you just get a bad vibe. And how do you put that mm-hmm. in words? You know, and you, and you have to say, like, oh, well, this person seemed like she was a leader and was a little too strong. And, you know, you have to put it in words, but, Prosecutors get called racist pretty yeah. much every day. Yet defense attorneys in that same case, the victims were Asian, and guess how many Asian people were kicked off the jury by the defense? But prosecutors, I don't think nearly as much as defense attorneys use the Wheeler motion or the Batten motion in federal mm-hmm. uh, cases to claim that they're doing it for a racist reason. That's what bothers me. Well, the process of jury selection is is also known as voir dire, which is a French term for to see and to say. And the reason that's important is because it's your ability as a lawyer um, in that very beginning of the case, the first phase of the case, to pick, uh, you know, the, the most crucial part of your, your. I mean, it's, it's it has to do with the outcome of your case, essentially, your client's destiny. And um, and you, you, you have to observe. So there's certain things that it's not about what they say or what they claim. Um, it, you, you have to use instinct and strategy is what jury selection is about. And so you have to observe and you have to make a connection by speaking to the jury and communicating with them and and that's what that's what gives you a good jury ultimately to go forward with your trial and i think that it's um it, you know peremptory challenges promote fairness in an, in a trial and i think that um to do away with them is an absolute a huge well, what mistake. about minimizing them reducing well, no, we, the it's number already of them. minimal we yeah. each side in, in in criminal cases each side gets 10 peremptory challenges there's no limit on challenges for cause those are things where the judge agrees that somebody definitely is you know not equipped to serve as a jury um, but we get 10 each. And in civil cases, I think it's less. I think it's six or something. Um, so, you know, we, we're already limited. It's it's unbelievable how quickly you run out of those. Um, and depending on what courthouse you're in as well. You know, like I was in Norwalk. <laughs> I was like, can I have 20 more? You know, um, it was horrible. Well, horrible why? Because you couldn't. You couldn't. Because articulate a sir, reason that people should not be on no, there, but I you just not, had a feeling. But I was not, but see, um, I've never had this problem where I've specifically gotten rid of a particular race because of my defendant's race or background or whatever. Sometimes it's just looking at somebody, like Mari said, and the guy's like, his eyes are wandering, but he doesn't isn't really that care. that cause? That's something for No, God. that's not cause. You, you cause have to come that. up with like saying, oh, well, I feel like they, um, not they mentioned that they the are a leader and they don't get along with others so that would be a reason you know that I that I don't want them to serve on my jury what bothers me also about this is sometimes um people of the same race are often harder on the defendant mm-hmm. and so a lot of times prosecutors will want certain black jurors on the jury because they're even harder on yeah. on their own race yeah. so i the think that a, a lot ra- it's it's never race alone yeah. it's always something else but it's so easy for um, the other side to say you're doing it because of race you need to come up with an articulable but that's articulable what, reason this, and it's study, sometimes difficult to do so the study put it down in numbers that sometimes race makes a difference then the more blacks on a jury the the higher the chance of an acquittal that that's just what the numbers are saying when looking just at race so I think race has more to more of a factor than I think we're giving it's, but it's credit never for. race it's alone it's usually yeah. what they say or you know it, in response to either your own question, the other side's question, or what they, their reaction in response right. to what the other jurors or, are or saying. Or their profession, their experience, you know, um, someone says, you know, my daughter is a, is a prosecutor. Okay, out. You know, I don't want, I don't want you on my juror, jury poll. You know, so, um, it just, it's, it's, and some of it is just, if, if the judge asked me why I'm booting them out, I wouldn't be able to say why. I, I mean, I, I could, but it would be, it would sound horrible. It would sound like, you know, I mean, it might be just, just their, their, 
the vibe, the vibe. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just it's just like your gut instinct. Your instinct is like this person is not, or you feel like someone. This person is, is what? This person is not open to hearing both sides. It's fairly. any reason under the sun, but usually reason. it's not just race alone. It's not race alone, and, and you know what? And you look. Sometimes you look at them, and but can you really say that when we ha- look these numbers? I mean, it would take forever to to read. But this is Louisiana. Yeah. But I mean, but this I, was in the South. How, too, so. But there was. It said that the the study um, shows that these are in keeping with data from around the country. That is the line that struck me the most, is that it, at, at first it seemed to focus on Alabama, Mississippi, the, the, the South. And then when I read that, and that this is what's going around the country, I was shocked by it, and I, I, I think we're not paying attention to it enough. Well, but that's the reason these Supreme Court cases have been around for decades. So it, it's then it's the fault of the defense attorneys in Louisiana for not bringing these but motions and asking. It. But then the, then the system is working. That's yeah. Exactly how it's designed to work. You can't get rid of peremptory challenges. I just want to explain to our viewers the difference because a lot of times what happens in court is between four cause challenges and peremptory challenges, you can, like uh, Sarah said, you can get rid of jurors um, limitless for cause, but they have to say magic words. They have to say, I am unable to be fair and um, I, I'm going to be biased in this case. They have to say that. And usually people won't say that. You know, they'll say, oh, I distrust the police and then the judge will specifically ask them can you, do, can you be fair in this case and they <laughs> right. say oh yeah I can be fair right. well there goes yeah, your four cause challenge and you have to use a peremptory on them on someone right. who you know it should be a four cause but they never say the magic words so that's why mm. you can't get rid of peremptory challenges and then you use so many of your peremptory challenges on the people who you know can't be fair then you only have a couple left if any at all, for the right. people you just have that gut instinct You're done for. With juries picked. So I think the system is working. The reason why these Supreme Court cases, we have it for race, we have it for gender. I wouldn't be surprised if in the future there was some case, you know, regarding sexual orientation or right. whatever coming I think down any the line. Protected class will probably. Can we really say up- it's working when we are, are finding out from studies that uh, the the conviction rates, uh, people that should wrongly well, convicted then, but then you and, turn to i think then you that that's when you turn to the attorneys and 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 the record of the trial record to see if the proper motions were made and what the rulings were because then then sounds like you can you have an appellate issue where emotions made the motions denied and they kept that jury res- d- despite knowing that the reason you know what i'm saying i mean i mean if there is that issue where somebody's booted out based on um uh you know in violation of of the law based on their race and such and no other reason well, well, there is now then, one pending uh, a foster uh, in georgia so it will be interesting to see if that changes anything mm-hmm. but another interesting aspect of uh, of juries is about whether well-known celebrity people should serve on juries would you as a, an attorney want uh, you know recently donald trump showed mm-hmm. up to jury duty as did former president uh, george uh, bush uh, and would you to kick them off or, you know, strike them because of their celebrity status. I'd kick them off because of their political views, but, um, <laughs> but, you know, they're, they're, uh, I think they're extreme examples, but I, but I would say that in general, when you're dealing with a celebrity on, on, uh, in your jury pool, you're dealing with an issue of, um, the fact that celebrities are like magnets. Um, people idolize them. They follow their lead. They, they follow their beliefs and they're going to, you know, take over whether it's for, you know, you don't know what their views are going to be ultimately when they're sitting in that room deliberating. And and the fear, I think, from an attorney's uh, point of view is that they're going to influence these jurors, that the jurors cannot make their own um, decision about the outcome of the case. And that's, I think, the fear. I mean, I had Vincent Bugliosi, who was, you know, he's not a celebrity, but he's a public figure. He was the former DA in Los Angeles who prosecuted the Manson um, uh, murder case. Um, he walked in on my first felony trial, and <laughs> I knew he was not going to make it. And I just finished reading the book Helter Skelter, which was his book. Um, and then I had Bradley Cooper, which I was bummed about um, getting kicked off of my my jury. on Just because you wanted to stare at him. I just wanted to stare <laughs> Anyone at him. Anyone would. <laughs> it was a great trial. Um, and that was, it was a uh, felony domestic violence trial. But, um, 
you know, it happens, especially when you're living in cities like New York or Los Angeles. Um, they walk in and it's really exciting. <laughs> you know, I wish that I was like one of the jurors to take a selfie with them or something. But apparently you know, George Bush was very uh, generous with his selfie uh, picture. I mean, that and you're right. It becomes sort of a circus. And I, I guess we're way too celebrity obsessed that what they think will we would follow them. We would hope that people would have their own thoughts, opinions judgment but I, I i hate to say it but i think that you're right maybe my faith in humanity is waning but i would like to think that people have their own independent thought and will listen to the evidence and take it into account but but they're human yeah. they're human at the end of the day you can voir dire all you want and you, you still you know part of you has to believe that ultimately you know it's a human response to what they're going to see in the trial and I including mean, being next to a celebrity I, mean, I think sometimes well, a celebrity can can help when you know their view so much like if i was representing a big company in a case i want donald trump all day long he would never he, make it though and He'd but and you're out. running such a risk because what if they disagree with some portion of your case there goes your whole case because they're one they're they're your foreman and your jury you know that's the problem uh earlier in the summer chief justice john roberts went to jury duty it's like uh, (laughs) yeah like of course he's gonna take over you know like everyone would listen to the chief justice of the supreme court of the united states you know so obviously except some presidential um candidates who are saying we can ignore what the supreme court says (laughs) that happened after um the same-sex marriage ruling came down so perhaps not everybody but 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 i think that for celebrities um some of them i I know a lot of people are always bummed when they get summoned to jury duty they don't want to take off from work they don't want to you know they don't want to deal with however much time they have to take off for their lives. But I think for some celebrities, it's it, it, they're bummed when they get booted off a jury pool because it's it's such a different experience than what they deal with day to day in their lives. And if they're not shooting a film and they have all this extra time, it's kind of nice to come off their perch and you know be with normal people and witness you know a, a human event. You know that that's this not is one on of set. our most important civic duties. Absolutely, yeah. So we also want to hear from our viewers on the last two topics, the topic of the St. Paul's uh, prep school um, senior salute that's now led to the rape trial against Owen Labrie, as well as um, what uh, Chelsea just covered, which is the issue of jury um, selection and whether or not peremptory challenges should continue to be allowed. So please tweet us at... At Mari Fagel. At Azari Law. At Chelsea Galicia. All right. And I specifically want to know, would you want Donald Trump on your jury? Would you want George W. Bush on your jury? If you had an ideal jury of celebrities, what would the makeup be? Let me know. I'm curious what you guys think. Oprah, for sure. Oprah's a good one. Uh, So uh, please do tweet us and stay tuned. Uh, Thank you for joining us, and we will see you again next week. Bye. From executives Kevin Undergaro, Dario Kristen, Tiana Hobson, and the entire BHL staff, we would like to thank you for supporting Black Hollywood Live, the first online broadcast network dedicated to African-American entertainment. For questions and comments, contact us, info at blackhollywoodlive.com. Like us on Facebook, tweet us, or Instagram us at BHL Online. And I am the official voice of Black Hollywood Live, Scipio, Instagram at KingXOBay. Thanks for tuning in. The views expressed here are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of BHL or its owners or principals.